Hi, podcasting from New York. They say if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. This is Pushing Boundaries. Most of today's commentary on complex social issues is binary, unproductive, and flat-out lazy. With this podcast, I'm looking to hopefully elevate these conversations, and as a lifelong educator, hopefully learn a few things along with you. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Today's guest, we have Sean Blanchett. Welcome, Sean. It's a pleasure to be here, and thanks for having me. You got it, man. Let me read your uh, your, uh, bio here. Uh, You're a mentorship specialist. From humble beginnings of the west side of Detroit to multiple degrees, Blanchett has adopted youth, led a math department to the top 5% in New York City, taught taught at a prestigious colleges, and was appointed to the city of Detroit's mayoral cabinet as a director of youth services. Throughout his tenure, he raised over $7 million to supply jobs to to, to over 5,600 youth, launching the Grows Detroit's Young Talent Youth Employment Initiative. He also served as Detroit's mayor's office. Mayor's Office Liaison to President Barack Obama's My Brother's Keeper Initiative. Sean also serves on a number of boards, including the Detroit Pistons and Detroit Red Wings, Little Caesars Arena Community Board. Currently, Sean is coined the mentorship specialist, according to Forbes magazine. He's married to making the lives of others better. He's the founder of the University of Moguls, co-owner of philanthropy, uh, advisor for a custom suit company, Snap Suits, a best-selling and national award-winning author and renowned speaker. He, in 2017, he completed a 42-stop national book tour with his best-selling book. How about that? How about that for a crack baby? Keys to mentorship and success, providing multiple scholarships, dozens of custom suits, and hundreds of ties. Sean has been featured as Essence Magazine's Man of the Month, Black Enterprise, Be Modern Man, and has been awarded as one of America's top millennial influences by the Next Big Thing movement. Welcome. Oh, man, it's a pleasure. That's always a... Uh, when I hear it, it sounds like, wow, this guy's amazing. And then I think about it, it's like, oh, it's just Sean. It's just me. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, I mean, you know, I want you to, I, I know you uh, you published a book and the book really pretty much tells your story. So I guess, you know, throughout this, you should probably loop in a lot of things that come from your book because it'll be uh, uh, sort of a, in a def- direct alignment to this interview. And so definitely Absolutely. I want you just to capture that and bring that in play here. Okay, let's let's get this up. Okay. All right. So I just want to ask you uh, my first question for today is who are you? Well, you know what? And I like that question because it makes you think from an introspective perspective. And when I think of who I am, I like to say that I'm a black man, first and foremost. And being a black man, you know, I'm a very complex black man. I like to look at it and think that um, I'm the ex- a lot of extremities that exist that's out there, um, a complex being, but not the stereotypical anything. Um, so I think that a lot of times when we look at who we are, uh, when I think of it, I think about what my values are and what makes me valuable. And what makes me valuable are the things that, um, that I had as adversity. So uh, being a black man, there's adversities in that, but there's so many, so many things that I can overcome because of that. Um, being a man that's, um, in general, there's adversity in that because you have to automatically be a leader. And I would say just being a man of God also, there's adversities in that because it's a struggle every day. Yes, I agree with you. I hear you on that. Um, definitely. You're right about that. Tell me, uh, what, what is, what's not true about you based on the anchor papers that you read um and there are some narratives that are being pushed by the the media what's not true about you based on those narratives being pushed well you know what that one one of the things that's not true about me you know i I know that they talk about you know a lot of times people will have you think that there's more black men in prison than there are in college there's a lot of times where people will make you think that black men don't have the jobs or black men are violent or you know, there are so many things that when it comes to police brutality or all these things is our narrative or we're not good fathers. Like all these things, it's a matter of the black man is always on a chopping block and it's guilty uh, before proven innocent every single time. Hmm. So I am not that guilty man. Well spoken, well spoken. 
You know, so what is true about you? You know, so what's true about me is the fact that, you know, and this this is something that in this question, I think it's really cool because some of the things that are true about me is, man, I'm a combination of people that I consider great with my own spin on it. And in that, you know, I'm going to go ahead and, and shameless plug you and say, you're one of the people along my journey, man. Man, I look to you, man, like just an amazing big brother to me. Um, and when I say what's true about me, I got to add people like yourself in there because you're a major part of my journey. Thank and you. it's a matter of just knowing that <clears throat> what's true about me is just I am a leader based upon a number of different leaders. Um, I'm a humble servant based upon a, hum a number of humble servants before me. And then I'm a guy that likes to have fun based upon a whole bunch of people that had a whole lot of fun while being a great leader and a great humble servant ahead of me, too. So I'm just a combination of those things. Mm, mm. So let's 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 start. At, let's start opening your book and let's tell a story about how you became who you are and how to, how do things become true about you? Yeah. So, you know, <clears throat> so I was I'm an 80s baby. Uh, the title of my, of my book, my first bestselling book is called How About That for a Crack Baby? Uh, keys to mentorship and success. So I was born with drugs in my system. Uh, so that says a lot about my own mother. And then mm -hmm. my father, he was an absent father. I have seven brothers, in which three of them are unfortunately deceased and three of them have been to prison. And my oldest brother has life in prison with 11 children. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, coming up, it was very interesting. Uh, you know, by the time they say drugs stays in, the, in your system till you're about seven years old. You know, I remember being eight years old, being put in special ed. Prison beds are projected based upon third grade reading scores. You wow. know, so it says a lot about me there as well, quote unquote, with the things that we just answered. And then I started selling dope at 11 years old. You know, at 11 years old, I started selling dope. My mom's a professional shoplifter. And so I mm. started driving her all across the country and helping her steal things and being her decoy um, when I was 11 and selling dope when I was 11. So. And then I just, that's after that time period, that's when all the loss started happening. I lost my grandmother at 12. I lost my brother Mike at 14. His twin was already dead. My father died two weeks later. My other brother got shot nine times by the police. My mom, mm. she was just absent. And so I was just pretty much left to raise my younger brother. Um, he's five years younger than me. I was 15. He was 10. I'm going to parent-teacher conference for uh, a young person when nobody was going for me. And so wow. I didn't have any rules, man. And I'm just selling drugs, bank scams, jewelry scams, whatever kind of scam I can. And that was like while going to a high school with a 40 percent graduation rate. And it was just I mean, honestly, if we look at it like this, I mean, and by the time I was 19, just based upon all the things I was doing, I found myself in jail. So if we look at this picture here, what's interesting about it, I'm talking about crack baby like. Wet in the bed, selling drugs, special ed, uh, parents dead, prison, um, father dying from alcohol poison, and, you know, just my siblings getting shot by the police and going to prison and dying and selling dope, and I'm selling dope, and bank scams and jewelry scams. My mom's a professional shoplifter. I'm going to a high school 40% graduation rate. This is kind of like, dude, get a kid a break. Damn. Right, right, right. You know, so and so this is but the beautiful thing about this is this is where the story gets beautiful, because all those adversities. And when I talk about being a, a combination of all these different adversities, it's because when I look at life, I look at the fact that those were all the things that stereotypically you could say that everything you could say wrong with the black community was plagued on this boy. Um, I didn't have ADD medicine, ADD medicine, but all of my siblings did. I just never got tested. Maybe they would have gave it to me too. But the interesting thing about it is that from all those things, I learned really great things. So from my, my brother and mother, my, my mother's a shoplifter. My father, my brothers were drug dealers from them. I learned entrepreneurship. Hmm. So, you know, it's a matter of, I used to sell a little baggies, little rocks for 20. Now I sell books for 20, you know what I'm saying? And so it's a matter of, you know, my products, they don't hurt people, they heal people now. And wow. so it's, a, it's also the case where I needed mentorship and I had a counselor that did that. And because of that, I went into education later on. And that's why I care about mentorship so much. And that's why you are such a critical piece of my story as well.
um, just because I met you at that juncture of beginning to take the lead and helping other people, man, I, I couldn't have gone to any better place in the world than with you at Hoke and Rucker High School and taking that journey and making these things happen. So five years of the journey is with you, man. And I'm excited to talk about that part, too. Oh, man. Talk about it, man. Talk and keep going, man. Well, you know what? So I'll say that, you know, the part that we just talked about was really that all those things right there. That's all the facts that happened. But it's not the actual story itself or at least the story that was playing in my head. So when when we look at my mother, who was a professional shoplifter um, up until uh, about about a year ago, I was actually a co-owner of a custom suit company. And so it's a matter of, oh, wow. So. This kid who was once a shop, once shoplifting all the time, owned suit companies. The kid that was selling them for 20 still sells them for 20, still moves weight, but instead of dopest books. And it's just a matter of making all these things in life, just a matter of like chicken wings, eat the meat and spit out the bone. And I remember being in high school and having multiple streams of income from the bank scams, the jewelry scams, scamming scams and scamming more scams, the weed, whatever else. I, want, I had multiple streams of income and today. Um, my next book that's actually coming out is all about how to develop multiple streams of income and the age, this millennial age that we're in right now. So I like to look at it like this, man. I went to University of Michigan, got my bachelor's mathematics, economics, New York, uh, City College, New York, got my master's in secondary math education, went to law school at Wayne State University in Detroit. And as interesting as it is to go through all those things, uh, the most funny thing about it is today, I don't do anything that I went to school for. I do everything wow. that I was taught from my men- illegitimate mentors when I was younger. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so, so if we're talking about, you know, being a salesman, man, I started that when I was very young with illegal products, right? And mm-hmm. so now I'm a salesman. It's not necessarily mathematics, economics, law school. I am an educator. Um, and I think that that's the impetus of all the things that I do, because at heart, again, this is why you're a big part of my story. All I do is the same thing over and over. And I actually create multiple streams of impact and income from it that provide me independence. So with that said, <clears throat> we look at the fact that like, we'll we'll look at all those crazy things that happen to me. And, and I'll, I'll even put this in chronological order. So it's not anything missed, but I, even knowing my background, I messed around and went to jail when I was um, a sophomore at the University of Michigan. You can take the boy out of the hood, but you can't take the hood out of the boy. Mm. And so interestingly enough, I'm up there and I'm. this is a, a great environment, 40,000 people, one of the top public universities in America. And I end up on TV um, uh, in, with a felony at that age of 19 and thank God that I was 19 still and I was able to get five years of probation instead of keeping that felony on my record. God wow. good. I just remember being in that cell and when I was in there, it was so crazy because I was thinking to myself like, man, they done found me out. A lot of people, they'll say, how did you turn around and how are you so different from your brothers? And the fact is I'm not different from my brothers. Um, we're just one or two decisions away from being in one another's position. Mm. And in addition to that, I didn't turn around. I just cut one side off. So I was always a smart kid, president of the class and debate team. But after school, I sold dope and bank scams, jury scams and everything else. But the thing was, I didn't have to like turn around. I just needed to cut a side of me off. And that's what I did. And when I cut that side of me off, I made a promise to God. I was in a cell and I was looking at a book that didn't have a cover on it. And when I looked at this book, I said, man, I started to read it. And it was actually the Bible and more of it was like an NLT translation. You familiar? Yeah. And with that, I started to read it. And I had always looked at Bibles from that Shakespearean uh, King James version and this was something new. So I'm like, oh, man. So I get to reading about the first five chapters. In that cell, I gave my life to Christ. And I said, if you get me out of here, I'm going to serve young people and be a, a mentor to young people so they never have to be in my position. Wow. wow. And because of that, man, uh, wow. my, I've been on a life mission to do that. And um, fast forward, graduate, come to New York City. 
Um, and this is where it gets really cool. Come to New York City and, you know, I'm over there applying for a math position and I'm at a fair where at this particular fair, uh, I'm in a city college, actually in the New York City Teaching Fellows Program. And I was supposed to be in a certain section of the Bronx. And I remember walking past a table and it was a very charismatic brother sitting at the table and a, and a young lady next to him, too. And, um, you know, the brother was so charismatic. It was just like such a pleasure to talk to you. I'm a black man and I'm a mathematician. So I was like uh, just everybody wanted a piece of me. But that this one brother, this one charismatic brother, he said, hey, man, we want you right over here. I said, ah, uh, I'm in a I got a different section of the Bronx. And um, the brother, uh, as I walked away, the brother like had his counselor hawk me down and uh, came back and just sold me on the vision of this school, of the first year of the school and what the brother wanted to do to really create some change. And I bought into the vision and that, and that brother's you, you know, wow, so thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Man, it was so interesting, too. I remember going, I, I remember moving to New York and thinking that the high school where I was going to go to, it was going to seem like dangerous minds. I thought I was going to be in this big old school, <laughs> changing the world. You know what I'm saying? I go out there and I remember going to the school for the first time. And it was this big school that I walked into. And I said, uh, hey, is, uh, is Mr. Rucker here? And they were like, oh, you got the wrong school. That's the school in the back. I said, no, it, it ain't no school back there. I, I look back there. Ain't, ain't no school back there. <laughs> they said, yeah, it is. The Blue Shed. I said, that ain't a school. I said, I said, not the Blue Shed back there. But it was actually that first year, Rucker High School, man. I went I went to the back. It was the Blue Shed. And I think at that time, I think you had crates in there, man. That's right. Um, I was sitting at a kidney table. Yeah, that was right. that was lower than my knees. <laughs> right, and so I remember going doing that, and I think uh, this is something I learned from you. I carry with me. I carry with me all the time, man. Um, we went to we had a summer institute, and this is a big the reason why I'm sharing this part of this. Not just because it's you, but because you're here, it's really great for me to share this piece. I often share certain pieces of this type of leadership style that I picked up from you, but have never shared them with you. Um. So one of the things that uh, one of the couple of things that I'll talk about that I did pick up from you that was really critical for me. For one, it was really important for me to see a black man in charge because I went to University of Michigan and coming from Detroit, then going to Michigan, then going directly to New York. So for me, I kind of felt like I didn't see black men in charge that were younger, young enough that I could identify with. And you only got me by eight. So it's like, oh man, you were like, I'm 23, man, you 31. That's right. I'm you know, a young man. You know what I'm saying? You you were just you 31, man. So I'm like, okay, cool. This this young dude is this young dude is fire, man. This is cool. So I remember um one of the things I learned when we were at ISA, and I always do this. We were building out what the school was going to be about, and we decided on the four C's, and um, and we and I don't, I don't remember all of them. I remember community and collaborate. Um, I don't remember all of them. And commitment. Yes. Now the thing is, when we built those four out, you really enabled us to have a part in the building process, so that we felt a stake in the school that was beyond just a random employee. We mm. felt like a part of it was ours. Mm. And so and going into business and the businesses that I run now, anytime that I bring on people, um, I give them certain things that they can build out into the company and help me with and innovate so that they can have that piece and that part of feeling a part of it and not just an employee of it. That's right. huge. Because when people take ownership, they care about it a lot more. It's kind of kind of like a person who who owns a house rather than renting a house That's you right. want to have no person you want a person that feels like they own the part of what you're creating so That's that they right. can cut the grass but nevertheless that was one really key thing another really key thing was uh just from being in New York um we you know and being in the population that we were in man we have we have some tales and these tales some of these tales are in a book and some of them man it's a matter of i love I'm so glad that we 
I'm so glad that I had the chance to work at Rucker. And it's it's a matter of the kind of students that we had, the kind of scenarios. Man, it was while we can talk about taking the math department to the top five percent, while we can talk about like, you know, um, killing it with the regent scores. We did some really great work over there. Phenomenal work. That's right. But while people can look on the outside and see statistics of what was going on, and people they're coming in, they want to do documentaries on what are they doing here, right? It was it was such a great time. And the interesting thing was we didn't even realize, well, at least I didn't. Let me speak for me. I didn't realize how much of a quote unquote great job we were doing. Let me Um, tell you, I didn't realize it either until I stepped away from it. So I'm there with you. Yeah, isn't that crazy? It was so interesting because I think in our minds, we were just looking at how much further we had to go. We weren't looking at necessarily comparing other people and what they were not doing. Um, Of course, we had to compare us to other other schools that were in the building, and we always outshined whoever was in the building. We didn't necessarily understand that, no, this is actually across the board here. There's some different things going on here. This is a whole real family environment where it's not, it's more than education going on. It was real mentorship, right? And this is like so ingrained in the story that I'm going to tell here, but it's just the mentorship and the family elements were so rich. Mm. So just another element of uh, something that I learned in this environment, because we had an environment where I remember we had students, a student that killed himself because he told a young lady that, um, you know, I won't mention any names, but he'll say he told the young lady, um, if I can't have you, I'm going to kill myself killed itself. We had young people toting guns. We had people that were bloods. We had people that were coming from Rikers Island, you know, and it was a matter of making sure that we could not necessarily police, but teach these young people. That's right. And, and we did everything we could to do that. We had, I remember, man, there was times where we had to make sure we had students that would beat up their parents. Oh yeah. Uh, man, there was some interesting scenarios. And I remember, um, you know, there was one time we didn't have too many rights. The stuff didn't get too wild or out of control that we couldn't handle anything. I just remember one time where there was a mixture of schools, uh, uh, issue with a mixture of schools. And I, I, this is another leadership hack that I got from you. Um, there was some boy that came from out of the school that came into school that hit a boy that went to new school, which is a different school that was in the school. Right. But he was on our floor. And I just remember it was a lot going on. It was kind of wild. This guy just came in and something, bop, bop, bop. And I, I don't know. I got blood on me. This was kind of crazy. I don't know. What, what, it was a lot going on. And I just remember uh, you were walking up and you still had a smile on your face. Not that it was funny. It wasn't funny. And it, it wasn't a smile like it's funny. It was a smile of like control. And it was also like this. You didn't even know what to do. But what you did do was say, hey, Blanchard, uh, go to room 206. We're going to do that. Gentlemen, go over there and get this. Such and such. Go and do this. We'll go ahead and talk about next steps over here. All right. Let's do it. And it was kind of like, even if you don't know what to do, it's okay if you don't know what to do. But even still having control when you don't know what to do is really dope. Mm. So it's even letting Mm. your people know that, hey, um, you go over here, you go over here, we'll figure out in there. Okay, let's go. And it's kind of like what you just essentially said was, hey, I don't know what the hell is going on, uh, quite honestly, but I'm not about to trip and make everybody else trip out. Right. 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 And right. so I, something that I, I picked up from that, that's something that I, I love so much, just the temperament of up under any circumstance and any situation as a leader. One thing that we have to do is always keep our cool and treat my, treat life like a math problem. When we see a math problem, we don't stare at it. You see the problem, you solve it, and you're done. That's right. It. And you just go from there. So with that said, um, a, a bit of this story here, what's interesting is, man, I remember that first year uh, working so much there. And all these things led up to me being this entrepreneur that I am today and the things that I do today. Um, and even able to accumulate wealth the way I can today, it started right here. So um, the interesting thing was, I actually, I remember after that first year, man, going so hard because we, we had some funding, but man, we still lacked a lot. That's right. And so I just remember 
man, I was the gym teacher, student government, working with recruitment for the school and with the uh, New York City Teaching Fellows and full-time master's degree student. I was teaching math and financial literacy. And it was just like, dude, it was a lot going on. And I was serving in my church too. And it was just a lot going on. And, uh, and this is my first year there. And I still had like a 4.0 the whole time. So it's it just a, it's a lot going on. And so, and, and I remember even the coaches uh, coming in, they really wanted to document some of the stuff we were doing. We even had some teachers that were turning over, but we still maintain this control. We're still about to set records and didn't even realize any of this. But um, I remember getting burnt out during that first year. Mm. And I was like, man, during the summer, I said, look, I ain't taking classes, Doc. I know we're supposed to go straight through. I ain't taking it right now, Doc. I'm going to go ahead and take the summer off. And so uh, uh, I took that summer off, came back that next year. And I remember um, still had a lot on the plate doing the thing for what we had to do, uh, you know, going hard with the math department, doing that. That was great. But I remember I got to the point where I said, man, we're doing some really great things. Math is going well. But I had this urge to do more. Mm. And this is where the mentorship came in. So started this mentorship program and we're mentoring these young boys. And I'm talking about, you know, our boys, they coming from from Brooklyn. They coming from the Bronx. They coming from Harlem. They, You know, these boys, they, they coming from all types of different hoods and it's just an interesting mix, but it's family. That's right. Now, what happened was I uh, we created with some of the other educators that were there, we created a mentoring program, and you were part of this program too. Oh, and yeah. even gave us some guidance so we we didn't actually like uh, <laughs> like go overboard with guidelines or regulations because we started out going the wrong way, but Thanks for uh, getting us in line there. That, uh, we appreciate you, brother. Uh, but we were doing what we felt we had to do, you know? Right, right, right. right. And so I just remember doing, like, working and working and working with these young men and ushering them off to college and then taking one, adopting them. He came to me smoking weed, selling weed, stealing cars. And by the time he finished, he was a senior class president, 3.8 GPA, 29 ACT, accepted to every college he applied to with a full ride to University of Michigan and Morehouse College. Now, right. what's interesting about this is, uh, man, and at this time, I was actually about to leave and go to law school, and I remember having that conversation with you. I think you didn't believe me at first, <laughs> but um, uh, I know that I was telling you, that, yep, I'm about to go to law school, um, but I left when that class left, and the interesting thing is one of the members, Ryan, he got the news to come in and I was in some newspapers because of mentoring this young man. Right. And because of that, a publishing company actually called me in the classroom. That first one, that when you come off to the right, you know where it was that went yeah. to the right, right there. Um, <clears throat> a publishing company called me and I was on the phone with them. And this is where the entrepreneurship begins. They said, uh, Hey, we saw your story in the news. We saw it on TV. And, um, in the paper, and we'd like you to write a book. And I'm like, man, I'm a mathematician. Uh, I haven't, I'm gonna be honest with you, I haven't written a paper in about 10 years. I was about 27 at the time, 20. And I'm like, yeah, I, <clears throat> I don't really do papers too much, so writing a book would probably be a little too crucial for me. And they said, uh, well, we'll give you $20,000. Wow. I, I said, uh, I, can, I can write, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> show i can write yeah you know and the thing is this is very important to me because quite frankly you know how the beginning of the story where we talked about just coming up in these like difficult situations and then turning around and helping these young people that were in the same difficult situations it was like a a pride and joy to be there and man i gotta tell you it was such an honor and privilege to work with you man like it was man like i couldn't i could not have asked for a better uh, training ground than uh, working with you and the young people that we served in the South Bronx, man. Thank this you, is man. like, listen, and this, I was, I was glad you were with me, <laughs> man. You, know, you were a great, a great help to the work, you know, man. Great help. 
And, and the other thing is, I want to say that you know, you know, we got to give yourself credit. You were a phenomenal teacher. I mean, with the fact that they were, you know, doing news articles about you and 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 taping you and 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 you they were writing about you in the newspaper. You were a phenomenal teacher. I mean, you were like it was like a stage coming to your classroom and seeing how open the, the kids were in terms of when you spoke, they listened and you made math so simple that kids could embrace it and engage learning. And so, yeah. and then the other thing was, you you were the, like tactically, you were the sh- the smooth, the sharp looking brother who was always tight, always suited, dressed shirt and tie, one you know top of the line shoes, and just just like you carried yourself with the, um, an elite mannerism that you know, listen, this is about quality, this is about purpose, and this is about confidence. And so, when you enter my classroom, this is what I want. And then when you engage those young men, it was that same same kind of uh, language going on. And they emulated that. Absolutely, man. And I, I appreciate that, man, because that's like, I, sometimes I wonder why educators have a hard time. And I don't, for the life of me, you know, it's, sometimes it's a, it's, a, it's a gift and a curse when you're in a situation where someone can say, what do you do in this situation? And you say, well, I don't have those kind of situations in my class. Mm. I can't necessarily help you. That's right. You know what I'm saying? Um, so it's a gift and a curse. But that's because, you know, I didn't I very rarely, maybe one or two times that I have anything that ever escalated. And it wasn't even in my class. It would be like in a hallway with somebody who don't know me, who's new to the school mm-hmm. or something, you know. But nevertheless, uh, with those things, which was really cool, uh, that journey, they said they were going to give me 20000 but then they also said they were going to give me 10% ownership of the book. Can you believe mm. that? Wow. Man, I said, you know what? Uh, it don't take a mathematician to understand that. I'm good on that. <laughs> That's right. That's <laughs> no, right. I, cu- I couldn't do that one. So what they did was they taught me how to do a book proposal. I shopped it around to some other publishing companies, and they wanted it too. And so... It was, but they had kind of similar deals. So I just knew in my heart that I had something and I didn't necessarily have to sell my soul to these companies. Mm. So I went off to law school and then um, uh, while in law school, doing a thing over there. And I remember being a black law student association president and so on and so forth. And then uh, then I was actually uh, appointed as the director of youth services in the mayor's office. Uh, create this fitness movement, but that's like on the side. I don't want to talk about that too much, but just basically got appointed as a director of youth service in the mayor's office and was uh, appointed to create uh, over 5,000 jobs and create a a soccer league for youth in the city and also um, leading the president's My Brother Keeper initiatives as a liaison to the White House. And so, man, I remember... A lot of things would come to me at this time that I learned in my past, like, okay, um, you know, I would, the mayor said, hey, you think you can handle the 5,000 jobs in the soccer league? I said, absolutely. I walked out the room, said, how the heck am I about to do this? And um, I just know that with mentorship, it's always, there's always some wisdom you can tap into and it's never a time to freak out. Everything is a math problem. All you have to do is not stare at it, but solve it. So I went mm. straight into solving mode and uh, connecting with my mentors, uh, connecting with cities that had done the work already and so on and so forth. Till we had raised over seven million collectively and getting to that point where even people that I was bringing on to the mission to raise the funds. The interesting thing was it was like you get people to buy into the mission with you. Right. Just like you did with me. Right, you get people right. to buy into the mission right. when there's some fires that happen. Okay, I may not have the answer, but I'm going to tell you guys this, this, and that. We'll go over here and figure it out. Everybody just calm down. And it's always having that kind of control, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's where, again, those are like two of my hallmark uh, things to do that I even carry over from from, uh, schools to government to entrepreneurship. So let's let's get it. I want to I want to get in jump in here for for a moment, you know. So you you I mean you I mean talk about this this path that you've gone on this rites of passage. It's I mean talk about a story and and the struggle. You 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 are like the epitome of the struggle, you know, in terms of making it out. And like you said, mm-hmm. one wrong decision could have changed your life. Mm-hmm. You know. It, now let's let's talk about it internally. So what did you do to to balance yourself or or nurture healthy emotional status? 
and also then this also this physical status. So so how did you take care of yourself emotionally and physically? Because there was a lot going on that was that was hitting you uh, uh, that was traumatic, right? Mm-hmm. And so you 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 were going through a lot. And so how did you overcome that to be this 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 charismatic, you know, positive person, you know, who was healthy and able to extend themselves to others? Mm-hmm. You know what? And when I'm young, when I was younger. Uh, when I was going through a lot of the things that I was going through, the interesting thing is, it's not that I had answers uh, to why or how it was so healthy or whatever it was. I just had some principles. And and some of these principles, some of these things that I knew were, for one, less, people can talk about post-traumatic stress. Now, post-traumatic stress, the way I see it, typically happens if, let's say that you live a normal life, then somehow you go to prison. And in prison, you get out. Once you get out, people have post-traumatic stress because there's been this extreme difference in their circumstance. Now, for me, I grew up and every day was just interesting. Uh, I'm living in the hood. You know, people can die. People go to jail. People get shot. My mama's still in. People getting drunk. People getting high. It wasn't like, oh, this life is so crazy. No, that life for me was just normal. Mm. There was no post-traumatic stress because post means after this occurrence that's like brand new. This mm. was a very normal occurrence. Mm. So for me, it was just like, oh, okay. When I got to college, then I understood, damn, growing up was was pretty wild, huh? Like, you guys didn't grow up like this? Oh, you guys, your parents are divorced and it's tearing you apart? Man, I ain't seen my parents in the same room until my daddy's funeral. Wow. You know? You know, so it's kind of like, you know, I just look at it and I say, so for me, from that day to day, the way that it was healthy for me was just the fact that I had love around me. Mm. Uh, no matter no matter what was going on, I may not have had biological parents, but I had grandparents. I mm. also had people that believed in me and I had a lot of people that did not. But what I did, uh, like I said, it's the principles. I had love and I tapped into the positive of the people that I loved that have positive things to say about me. And then I could just put a deaf ear to the other ones. And mm. the third, I would say that I knew right from wrong. And for me, selling dope, I knew it was wrong, but it was regular. And it was like stealing, I knew it was wrong, but it was regular. And it was a matter of, because I knew it was wrong, it's not that I wouldn't do it. It's that I would do it, but I would do it different. Case mm. in point. If I sold, like, let's say I'm in high school and I'm selling weed. For me, it was like, man, I'm learning these lessons from other people. My brothers are getting shot and going to prison. Sisters, too. I got five of those. I have Mm. one sister who had eight kids, and she did eight years in prison. So Mm. she sold dope or whatever else, did all kind of other stuff, whatever, whatever. But nevertheless, I noticed that the trends. And when I would see the trend, I would say, well, some people say, oh, it's just not going to happen to me. Well, no, no, no. I believe it can happen to me. I'm not that stupid. Um, But what I was, I would say, hmm, so I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it different. So when I sold weed, what I would do is I had a job, and on my job, I would not take weed to school with me. I'm on a debate team and a class treasurer and all that kind of stuff. I didn't want to take nothing to school with me to tarnish what I had there. So Hmm. what I would do is on payday, I sold weed on payday. And I would sell it to the whole kitchen. And that's the only time I had it on me. Mm. And so I'm not standing on nobody's corner. I'm going to just do it like where I'm going to work my job. And on payday, I'm going to get everybody paycheck and mom. We'll just do it that way. Mm. And so it was still risky. But I just had more calculated risk than some of my peers and siblings were taking. Mm. <clears throat> so I think that from a, from a, young, from a, from a young guy, um, as I continue to mature into myself, I like the idea of grooming and taking care of myself. My older brother, man, uh, God, God bless him. He, he's, he's in the 17th year of a life of a life uh, sentence. Hmm. And uh, but I remember when I saw him for the first time, it was my first time seeing someone that looked like Run DMC in real life. Hmm. And he had the, the gold rope chains. He was clean. He had the cane go and the Adidas on, and that left an imprint that like. You got to be flying life. Like, mm. I want I want to be flying life. So whatever I had, I would clean my shoes and emulate being that fly guy in life. All I know is 
said, I'm a smart fly guy. And my grandmother would tell me that too. She said I was smart and handsome. And I said, you know what? I don't care what nobody else say. I'm going to just lean into these positive people, my brother and my grandma. And I'm going to lean into that. And I'm going to keep that with me. And that kept my mind balanced. In the midst of the chaos, mm. I just focused on the, the positive things that I had about me that people gave me attention for. This is key because I believe that people, whatever you give a young person attention for, they will manifest that. Mm. So for my younger brother where people say, oh, you crazy. You so dang bad. He ended up with 12 to 20 years in prison. Mm. Mm. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. Listen, so, you know, in all of that, how do you, how, what, what is love and how do you show love? You know what? And that's a good question, man. I, I feel like with that one, I can, I can tell, tell what love is in a non-romantic way. Mm-hmm. Um, in a non-romantic way, I say that love is, it's an experience and really it's a, it's a, it's a higher level of human existence where you know you share uh you're willing to sacrifice for someone else and so that's like what god shows us like god gave his only son the son gave his life like it's we it's all about sacrifice because when you're interacting with people and it's all convenient mm, that's not love like if somebody gives you a thousand dollars and they're a millionaire i ain't love but if somebody got like a thousand and one dollars and they give you a thousand dollars that's love mm. you know what i'm saying so it's really it's all about the sacrifice embedded in this experience that you have with someone. And when you understand that it's like, man, this person is sacrificing for me, that's when you gotta take in, take it in and be like, yo, this is love, whether you're giving it or receiving it. Mm. Mm. Well said, well said. Well said. So so how do you in terms of like your your emotion, how do you deal with your mental health on a daily basis? What do you do? See, that's good. And I, I would attribute this one to Hal Elrod's book, The Miracle Morning. Um, and he has this concept called the savers. And the savers are the things that you do in the morning uh, when you get up to like really have a healthy state of mind. So I know for myself, I always I'll pray in my own mind uh, when I get up. I say positive affirmations to myself if I don't listen to it on YouTube. Uh, in the morning, that's typically when I work out. Um, in my mornings, I like to get up early because um, it's actually a time period that's just for me. And I don't have to necessarily sacrifice for anyone else. I'm sacrificing getting up early and showing myself love. Mm. So it's like a, a own little, it's own little sacrificial self-love piece going on there where I can like nurture shine. Mm. And I know you've always been into exercise. Yeah. And what, what yeah. was that about? What was that about in terms of your exercising? How come yeah, that became you, something that was a part of you? You know what? So I re- I remember, uh, so growing up, um, I always sold dope instead of playing sports. And so I know that I was always an athletic kid, but I never gave it a real chance. And so I, I started working out seriously in, in college. Um, and then it would be just spurts of life where I would get busy and then not and then jump into it and then not. And I remember it was one point where I was 27. I was at I was at Rucker and I was like, you know, I got to take this uh, a bit more serious. I felt like uh, I wasn't giving the world my best self. And one of the things that exercise does, it challenges you. It's again, it's sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Like you're sacrificing your own comfort to reach a certain utopia. And so I remember uh, doing P90X and really having a, a, a a really dope transformation where it was like I, I went from from like maybe 16, 17% body fat to like eight. You get the six pack abs, you got all that. And it was just right. after that, I just really began to incorporate it into what I did and began to incorporate it into like my mentoring programs or with my peer groups. I just started to incorporate it everywhere. And I got to the point where I actually had a fitness company where, man, I was on the Detroit River, it's called Runners Town. It just had this event where I would have like 500 people, myself and my partners, have like 500 I people that. working out with us, man. And it was it was real, real wild, man. Really good stuff. Listen, I've always seen you as like the Pied Piper, man, for the community, and and uh, it's amazing how many you know when you 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 get in a room and how many people light up with you in the room and they they'll follow you anywhere. 
Um, and I'm glad that you, you know, if you found a way to to pay that forward and uh, mentor young minds, both male and female, through your book and through your public speaking, you know, that's a, a great asset to have. And I'm glad that you continue to do do that. You know, mm-hmm. along the way, you 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 talked about many obstacles, and 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 you've given us a, a really good summary of of what what it took for you to make it today. If you had to size it up for a young person today or someone at, that's, you know, an adult, what are, what are the key attributes to success as a male, black man? Mm-hmm. You know what? And so I, I will answer that and I'll say that I think that there's a, there's really three uh, pillars to success. And this is the three eyes and that's impact, income, and independence. Mm. And the reason why, I I say it's those three, and that's like more so of a flow. They all flow into one another. The more you impact people, the more income you can make, the more income you can make, the independence that you can have with this independence, when you can take that additional time you have to make more impact, that more impact fuels into more income. It continues to go so on and so forth there. So jumping into that cycle, something I want people to know is that one thing for sure is that the richest people in the world help people. Also, some of the poorest people in the world help people. When you begin to attach value to how you help people, that's when you can apply riches in your life to create this impact, income, and independence for yourself. Mm, well said, man. Well said. And that you know that pretty much sums up our interview, man. I mean, you you pretty much. Uh, I didn't even have to ask any questions. Your narrative. And your story is, is phenomenal. Um, you, you pretty much almost interviewed me during this, this session. And so, um, <laughs> but I, I'm sure yeah. that my guests know more about me through this, this interaction. And that's good. Because um, mm-hmm. sometimes I, do, I definitely leave myself out in this conversation. Yeah. But, you know, as a, as a sum up, you know, do you want to plug in anything that you're doing, uh, the business that you're involved in? Yeah, yeah, you know what, and that's and this is what's so beautiful because again, man, uh, big ups to you and a lot of ways that I've taken a lot of wisdom from you because you like you got to really under like I want I need you to understand like how I see you and how you feel me so much because I don't I don't know if you really know, bro, because this this is the thing, right? You got to know, like when I was twenty three, man, I'm twenty three years old, never had a suit in my life, had never tied a tie before. So maybe a month prior to meeting you was my first time even wearing a tie. And you talking about this well-dressed guy, this and that. Man, wow. I met you and I just jumped into that. That was brand new for me. You know what wow. I'm saying? And so it's a matter of knowing that, like, I grew so much as a man. I'm 23, you know, never had a father, had older brothers, but they weren't really around enough before they were, like, dying and going to prison. You were mm. my first positive positive big bro that mm. could give me some game that i respected mm. you know what i'm saying and so it was like i would learn lessons when you wasn't teaching them you know what i'm saying wow, wow. and so one thing wow. so with that like i just want people to even know it's a few things here like today you know i could talk about the things i do from you know i have a publishing company i have dozens of people in my publishing company um it's called the university of moguls publishing and design i have um uh, online school where I teach people how to become authors and speakers. Um, I have a new book that's coming out next month called Millennial Mogul, and it's all about cracking the code to impact income and independence by getting your ship together, mentorship mm. and entrepreneurship, mm. and get your ship together. And so, uh, get it together. Let's get it together. Entrepreneurship, right? And so the cool thing is, it's like you know, um, all these things. Like now, I have about seven people that work under me. And again, some of those principles that I learned from you, I apply them, right? Wow. I apply them to all the things that I do. And that's why it's like, I was just telling you, I'm like, this is going to be a great time to just let you know some of these things, man. I would just like, and I, I also, something I appreciate, I know we're wrapping up here, but something I just want to shout out to you and appreciate is like, it's something to be said when you are leading somebody, somebody that's a rock star and enabling them to be a rock star. Yes. You know, some people, they can kind of like try to like get in the way of it or don't want people to shine. No, man, you were creating rock stars like this. This is what we're here for. And I love that, man. I love it because it wasn't just me. I feel like a lot of people came in with potential, 
but uh, were molded through the process and just made better by not being micromanaged, but being led, though, uh, trusting people. Like, man, it's a lot of stuff in there that are qualities that if you don't catch them um, from some textbook or somebody teaching, you right. know, that's something you can learn from someone. If you if you paying attention, you can learn from their actions because people may not read the Bible or nothing like that, but they can read you. So I read you a lot, big bro. Thank you, man. You know, and my, and my thing, my whole premise about leadership in leadership is that I always felt that, you know, you, you got to bring, bring the best and the brightest around you, especially when you have, you know, this this great deal of work that you have to accomplish. But when you bring these mavericks around you, you have to be confident in yourself and that you have something to offer to that table. Maybe not you're not the, the best of the individuals in the room, but you have a feature that you can always offer to help shape and develop others, right? And I always felt like when you have a lot of smart people in the room, we're going to come to some sort of solution, right? And being comfortable in that that uncomfortable space of having conversations and not having the, all of the answers, but having really, really bright people around you and having these this, this dialogue and, and, and push back and trying to come to some solution, not being the one with the all the answers and not being the one who's almighty and knowing because of a title, which means mm-hmm. nothing, right? And mm-hmm. so, you know, and I, and I felt like, you you know, that's why we had so much growth in our, in our community in terms of the 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 ability and the the talent that the talent pool that we had um, was phenomenal, you know, and just everybody mm-hmm. was just bringing something to the table, and yes. and that's how it should be when you're trying to build something. Listen, well said, Mr. B from Detroit in the hey. house. Listen, transplant to New York and back now in Detroit. Listen, man, you, you gave us a lot of goods today, a lot of fruit and a lot of food to eat and um, a lot of knowledge. And, and I mean, I have to listen to this multiple times because I have to uh, digest a lot of it. Um, but you gave us a lot of food for thought and a lot of jewels. You know, I'm, I'm also um, thankful for, you know, the experience you had with me and um, that you've learned so much and that we've had a great time together. And so it was equal on both sides. And, and I'm glad that, that we ha- we've met and we had Absolutely. that time. Pleasure is mine. Thanks for listening to Pushing Boundaries. Once again, my name is Sharif Rucker. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do me a favor by commenting, subscribing, and sharing this podcast with everyone you know. All of these things are free and take very little effort, but would mean the world to me. Thanks again and stay tuned.